Drive-by Cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome. This is Drive-by Cinema. Watching and explaining in excruciating detail the movies <laughs> so you don't have to. With me, my co-host, the man whose favourite wordle starting word is cream, it's, it's Paul. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. Actually... It has been stare and sometimes arise. If I'm going vowel, scene, I'm going vowel Scene. You're doing scene frequently, I'm sure. No, no, that oh. is a lie. Excruciating detail, you're right. And also marginally faster than watching the movie itself. So there's upsides to coming along to ride by cinema. We're saving you time, yeah. Saving Think you time, you... at least 20 minutes. That's right. This is season two, episode 27. Seven. Imagine if you saved 10 minutes on every movie that we've reviewed over the past year and a half. Where would you be now? On the toilet, reading that book of Scorn. Scorn? Scornography. Scorn. Like, don't you have those weird books that you bought in the late 90s, like Xenophobe's Guide to the Chinese, or The Book of Scorn, or Curiously Bad wow. Poetry that you have in a big pile in your loo? Hey, Paul, I met some listeners over the weekend. Can you confirm that they are human? Yes, I can. Wow. More human than, than we are. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly, is my point. I've got some sobering news about Dogville. Wait, so, what? Hey, come on. You remember Dogville, right? Starring the Nicole Kidman. With no, no set, as it were. As it were. Do you ever get the feeling that... Important, important elements of the films that we'll watch just pass us by. We're oblivious to. <laughs> I read on Wikipedia the re- yeah. the reception bit that tells you what people thought of it, and I read the plot bit, and I read a synopsis wow. uh, and stuff like that, and I pretty much regurgitated Instead that. of watching? Instead of watching? No, or? as well as watching. I watched it oh, four well. or maybe five times, Richard, or I paid for it four <laughs> or five times. So don't come that with me, thank you, sonny boy. Anyway, go on. I want to ask you, I want to ask you a little miss? question about I put all of why it. Was, why is the town called Dogville? Do you know that? It's a town named after a dog. I mean, if you spell it backwards, it says evil god. <laughs> wow, that's brilliant. I even thought of that. It doesn't. Alive god. <laughs> is there a dog in the town? Question. Is this a leading question around Nicole Kidman or something? <laughs> no, that was awful. I should have said that. I didn't mean it. Uh, it's just very, very pretty. Uh, I don't know. No, there isn't, is there? Yes, there is. There is. At the start of the film, mm-hmm. there's a space drawn outside on the porch of something outside one of the dwellings that's drawn on yeah. of course. And I think yeah. there's the indication that a dog is there, that either it says dog or it's drawn there or something. Oh, fucking wonderful. I think she interacts with it, but I'm not sure. She interacts with the chalk line on the floor. something. Yeah, yeah, she'll probably mime. Does it make a noise like the doors do when they're opening the imaginary doors? (laughs) Now, at the end of the film, where, spoiler alert, as if that needs to be said, you know, everybody dies, what happens to the dog? It dies, it gets shot in the crossfire. You're wrong, you're incorrect. You're incorrect. So, first of all, the dog is a real dog at that point. I think they put a real dog in there. Ooh. That, that's what listener Adam 
told me anyway. I can't clearly remember that detail. Thank you, Adam, with your attention to detail. But I do remember... And that also the congratulations to get to the top of the fucking Himalayas for that movie. How anybody voluntarily watched that is beyond me. I mean, we have to. Sorry, Rich, I interrupted you. At the end of Dogville, I believe the gangster heavies go to kill the dog along with everybody else. But, oh, no. But Grace, played by Nicole Kidman, she tells him not to kill the dog. She stays at execu- execution. She does, because she says, I took its bone. Oh, I thought you say it's the only one that didn't shag me. <laughs> Yeah, probably that too. But she's saying that the bo- the, the dog had reason to, to, to hate her. To hate her, yeah. And so in this world of gangster justice, rough justice that they meet out, that's fair game, you know, that's okay. You know, so she, it gets a reprieve because it was justified. Wow. Interesting. And it's the only one that was spared from the village. Dogville indeed. There's also then something about the free will, the agency on the part of the gangsters, who seem to have all the power and agency at the end of the film, but really, they're following their own, you know, justice kind of. Sense I really of like your take on it, which was transactional morality. I'm not sure what it means, but I like that take. <laughs> it made me think about transactional mor- morality. I guess it's rather like political expediency, isn't it? But in a moral frame, moral frame set, perhaps. This sounds like the kind of political and moral thinking that is surely going on in the halls of power. Stop it right now. (laughs) Where were we? We were saying there were no corrections, nothing to comment upon. It's time for some music. Is that right? No more corrections after Dogville. Yes. Here we go. Thank you, Adam, for the corrections. And now, Paul, to yes. something rather more pleasant. Something completely different. Smooth jazz of a film. <laughs> the Door into Summer. This, you said last time, is an adaptation of a novel. Turns out to be a Robert Heinlein novel, in fact. Is he famous? He is famous. What's he's he famous for? Author. Well, I know he's famous. You know, sci-fi, you know. But he's not famous like Asimov, is he? No, probably he's... Sadly, in the shadow of the greats like Asimov and and <laughs> Arthur C. Clarke, uh, yeah. Arthur C. Clarke, and uh, what what's the other one? Um, the guy who, who wrote, wrote that the Blade Runner. Thing? Oh, oh, yeah, oh, Philip, Frank Philip K. Dick. Philip K. Dick, yes, yeah. What's it all about? So you said this was from the, in the 1950s, the story, was it? Well, apparently, I'm just looking as, as it happens onto page, onto phone, and uh, it was first serialised, like many of these science fiction novels are, in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, October, November, December. Gosh, those must have been thick reads, in 1956. Later published in hardback or hardcover, as it says here, in 1957. It certainly has the feel... A much lazier kind of Sunday afternoon reading the colour supplements kind of feel of science fiction of that era, doesn't it? It's 65 years old. Yeah. Rather than the breathless, you know, running around and shooting things kind of science fiction. of Yeah, in days. two ways. One, that the action is contained 
in action scenes and the rest isn't action. But also, I think what you might be driving at is, is the rather pedestrian nature of the ideas involved. There, there isn't a whole lot of competing fictional science ideas here, is there? There's just kind of one or two that run continuously through the, through the story. It opens with a quote from Stephen Hawking. The past, like the future, is indefinite. It exists only as a series of possibilities. I think that's what it said. Mm. So that's going to lead us to perhaps some loops in time travel, I wonder. And we start looking at something from 1968, where some Japanese scientist is demonstrating we do. teleportation. Yeah, yeah, what was all that about? Well, it, it comes back later, doesn't it? It does come back later, yeah. We didn't know at the start, though. It seemed to have no direct relationship to what we see next, which is the hero of the piece. Takakura. I thought it was called oh. so- Sochiro. Oh, I'm, uh, I, I, I was looking at the novel and not at the film. Sorry. So in Robert Heinlein's novel, he's called Takakura. Maybe. Is he? No, he's called Daniel Boone Davis. So it's not, <laughs> set, to it's make. not set in Japan. <laughs> Incidentally, this film is from 2021. Okay. And uh, it is directed by Takehiro Miki, uh, an adaptation by Tamoe Kano of the novel by Highline. Okay. That's just to sidestep whatever I said just then. I can't remember even. <laughs> so this is now 1994. Well, uh, uh, sorry, after the little scene, I should say this is important, it comes back later. After the little scene um, with the teleportation guy, the scientist showing it off, we then see a little sequence of a little kid who gets, something happens to his father and he gets fostered or something by his father's friend and learns robotics. And then the foster father tragically dies in a plane crash or something. So multiple terrible things happened to this little kid. And we follow him through to now 1995. He's a dedicated scientist now. And he, well, he's, yeah, he's a scientist, isn't he? He works for some kind of research company and he builds robotics at home as well. He's got a little laboratory in his home. Mm-hmm. And he's got I like that little montage at the beginning. Yeah, it's. Well, it packs a lot in. I wasn't really sure what was going on. The interesting thing is, like, when he's when he jumps, when he's bumped families for the second or third time, he gets a stepsister, and she kind of gets it worse than him, doesn't she? Like, yes, ultimately, ultimately, I didn't realise she was a stepsister. It does make things slightly less less awkward. Yeah, yeah. slightly less icky. Now. He's called Sochiro, as I say. Sochiro? I've just found out. He's actually called Sochiro. Sochiro Takakura. So we're both right. Ah. He's 27 now in 1995. And it's March the 1st, 1995. This will become important later. So you better have a notebook. I'm writing that down because I didn't realise that. He's got a cat called Uh. Pete. Is that an appropriate name for a cat, do you think? It's not an appropriate name for a cat, no. Maybe, I mean, maybe it is in Japan. Who knows? Peter. Uh, what would you call a cat, Paul, if you had a cat? Squidgy. 
I see no reason why not. Uh, my cat would be called Willow. Not Tabitha. Because then it would be Pussy Willow. Oh, please. It's good, isn't it? <sighs> You've been playing too much Wordle. <laughs> Richard plays Wordles without the ease. Yeah, that's right. Like, like He's bragging um, about it. Like the great novels program. that are not written with ease. Of which yeah, he can I've... now name two. Gadsby Three. and... The Void. The Void. Void. And... By that French bloke. And that other one by Adam West. Which um, came after the talented French bloke. And no less talented, though. Difficult thing to write a novel without ease. Have you read any of Gadsby? No, that was the first one, wasn't it, I think? I don't know about the first, but it was... It was in 1930, <laughs> wasn't it? It's about a guy who, age 50... Mm, Interesting. He decides the town he's in is very run down, yeah. and he decides he's going to help the youth of the town hmm. to reinvigorate the town. Like, I, I don't know exactly how he does it. Maybe he builds a youth centre or something. I can't because it's got an E in it. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly... Quite delimiting, as, isn't it? Well, you can't use any numbers between 2 and 60. That's that's well. very limiting. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, yeah, he invigorates his town by by encouraging the youth. So interesting. What's that uh, linguistic theory? Sapir Whorf. The Sapir Whorf hypothesis. Yes, we've discussed that before. The notion that language defines thought. Well, it certainly does. If you can't say numbers three <laughs> to fifty, bloody nine. <laughs> Yes, it's surprisingly limiting, isn't it? Right, back to this movie. Where were we? Pete. Right now, Pete. Yeah. Pete seems to be a device, partly to explain the entirety of the name of this film. The door into summer. Because it's winter time, and Pete, the little cat, is very cutely looking out of the window. In my mind's eye now, I imagine he's got both front paws up on the glass, but I don't think that actually happened. But that's how I want to imagine him. Sees a white Look- slush coming down. Sochiro is narrating and he explains that Pete will now want all of the doors in the house to be opened and he's expecting that through one of these doors he's going to find summer. Oh, a poet. The door into summer. We could write a haiku about that, couldn't we, class? It's so whimsical. thing is, I, I think that's no, a rather not. fanciful interpretation it's of the It's a powerful behavior. zen circle. Of an idea. I mean, surely isn't the cat just looking for a warm spot in the house? I don't know. The weird thing was, I was looking for Japanese in this movie, and then I found it like, oh, that's like a pure circle of Zen ideas drawn in a free hand. And it's not. This is an American novel. So, <laughs> just goes to show how you can project your ideas onto things. I thought it was just so Japanese. Look, well, as Honda these days do those stupid walking robots and crap, don't they? So, we associate humanoid robots, I guess, with Japan these days, or at least I do. Now, Sachiro is. Working for FWE, developing a new robot called the A1. I'm glad like you took note of that because I didn't. Android robot. A1, I, I, yeah, yeah, which is a crap name for a robot too, isn't it? Really. I guess when Robert Heinlein was writing his novel, you know, you had to. I mean, it makes sense for the first robot to be called. It A1. does, yeah, yeah. Not now, of course. I mean, now it's crazy. Suchiro goes on a TV show to talk about his new robot, and the TV presenter, rather creepily, seems to have the hots for him. 
Actually, he is. No, a... that is standard Japanese TV. Really? Yeah. She's. I mean, she's much older than he is. I think. No, 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 no. Is... Like, I, I got when I was in Japan, I got consumed by this. It's like all the little graphics popping up. <laughs> like, do you know like the BBC News ticker? Like that, yes. but crazed yeah. in all kinds of colours. <laughs> Taiwanese TV is the same. And they're not just on the bottom, they're everywhere. Yeah, there's just there's just tickers going on all... The graphics, you know, the titling is just insane. It's like some hyperactive, very, very nice girl that likes colouring who's 14 years old has taken <laughs> over the titling department. And then they put these weird sounds, like, you know, if somebody says something funny, then they put a boing sound and that kind of stuff. There's this live live audio annotation of, you know, what is a chat show or something like that. And then it's always a panel of five or six people. It wasn't in this circumstance. And they're always kind of being a bit, a bit creepy and a bit sort of greasy with some young person that's come to be interviewed kind of thing. And obviously saying semi-suggestive things you can get away with at 11 o'clock in the morning. Well, it's fascinating. I mean, he's very clean-cut and quite... I'm quite a serious scientist. Yeah. He's got real anime kind of... What's that thing in anime where you've got the young, like, feminine-looking guy called... You know what I'm talking about. Oh, you're really putting me on the spot here. But he's got that floppy hair thing going on, hasn't I he? I wish I still liked anime. <laughs> I could answer <laughs> that. I've kind of thrown all that knowledge out. I'm, I'm embarrassed to have liked anime. He's quite cute. But then his sister turns up to his place, Rico. Rico, stepsister. Yeah, I, I say I wasn't sure about that at the start. So, because they minute. have a he very close off the relationship. He, he comes off the interview and he says, boss or like partner. I think he's got a stake in the business already. He's like, what did you put me on an interview for? He's like, well, it's all good. It's all good publicity, isn't it? Yeah. And then do they do a deal? Oh, that's this, after. That's after. That's after. But Sorry. First, Rico shows up. They, she, she cooks for him or something. I think he shows her his new work, which is he's working on a plasma battery, and this is going to revolutionise. You're not going to need to recharge your robots, or hardly ever, anyway. Anyway, then another attractive woman turns up. Turns out to be his girlfriend Rin, who's also the finance director of some such or the finance secretary of the company. Is that not Accounting right? Accounting secretary. She describes Thank herself. You. So there's obviously some inter-office relationship stuff going on here, isn't there? Anyway, there's a there's a lot of tension between Rico and Rin. Like, I think Rin seems put out that Rico's taking her shoes off by the door, but everybody does that anyway. And Rico leaves, sensing all this tension, I guess, expecting that Rin and Sachiro are going to shag anyway. Do whoopee. And this is at the point... Where I accidentally, <laughs> I accidentally <laughs> sent you this note on uh, Discord rather than writing in my notes, and I, I asked you directly what Rin was asking Sachiro, which was, "Do you love me more than your sister?" <laughs> <laughs> which is a creepy thing to say, either coming from your girlfriend or your podcast co-host. <laughs> I, I did consider the question for some time, genuinely, actually. <laughs> So the fact it was in italics didn't 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 sway me or unnerve me in any way whatsoever. Has <laughs> <laughs> he got a nice house? Oh, it's a modernist beauty. It, it is, and it's it's kind of a live work space, isn't it? It's yeah, perfect it's kind of, for home working. You can see this was made in two thousand and twenty-one, can't you? It's beautiful. It's like you know, if you'd taken a Californian beach house, stuffed it full of modernist aesthetics, and Transplanted it to, you know, 
just beyond the rice fields outside of a city in Tokyo, outside of a city in Japan. Lovely, you know, with mountains in the background. Gorgeous. So I he agree. must have made some money, mustn't he, already? Oh, yeah, sure. He's, he's uh, the half-owner, I think, of a major robotics firm, isn't he? Although he hasn't yet invented robots properly, so I don't know how, what they're actually selling. Now, it's one week later, it's March the 8th, and he's going into the office to meet his business partner and boss, who we learn at this point is diabetic. He's injecting himself with insulin, isn't he? God, you remember everything, Richard. He is in the in the uh, just well, it, the hamstring. Or it becomes important later, doesn't it? That 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 they've got this syringe of insulin knocking around. It turns up later. Now he's presenting a new business plan to release the A one as soon as possible, but the A one isn't ready. Oh no! And then confusingly, he says he's selling the rights to another company. I don't really understand how that that was going to lead to capital injection. I think. And so, this seems to be a big issue, a contentious point. Sochiro apparently has enough power with his shareholding to prevent this from happening. Yeah. And so there's a vote. But I think Rin has been given half of the stock. I think they've been discussing that when she came around, hadn't she? Mm. The two of them. And so now she owns like two... Well, between him and the boss... Sorry, between her and the boss, they own two-thirds of the company. So the two of them can outvote him. And Rin goes ahead. And then they fire him. She does that. Yeah. 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 He has to go home. FWE has already sent men to grab all of the equipment from his home lab. And so when he gets home, it's all, it's all gone. It's been wrecked. <sighs> I'd be destitute, you know, if I was him. His sister shows up and he's drinking from a hip flask, which is very... It's very hipster, isn't it? Who has a hip flask these days? Do you have a hip flask? You do, don't you? I used to have one. I've, it was collapsible. I've seen your hip flask. <laughs> you haven't. A collapsible hip flask. I used to have a collapsible hip flask, yeah. You know, like Russian dolls, like, it would sort of concertina down to, like, a little size and you could make it big. Depending how much whiskey you wanted to put in there. Well, and you could put another one inside it, like a Russian doll. No, no, not like that. Oh, right. Uh, okay. Not to, not like a Russian doll to that extent. Okay, okay. Do you know those plastic plates that kind of fold into themselves? Like, they pop up and then you can stack them? No. That sounds no. like pure magic. <laughs> okay. What I mean is, it was like, it was like uh, chain mail, yeah? So it like had sides mail. that would... <laughs> The bottom, you know, the bottom, the bottom link in the sides of the hip flask was smaller, so it would slide up to the next one, and they'd all sort of okay. They'd end up no, as concentric listen, rings. I can imagine this as a cup, but not as a hip flask because well, it, 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 they end up not as concentric rings, but as concentric kind of flattened ovals, <laughs> looking down on them. I'm not sure if that's cross sectional or right. Okay, so. It's a hip flask that can collapse down for ease of carrying. For ease of carrying, but not when it's full. But that's the whole point of a hip flask, is that it's easier to carry when it's full, surely. But it's even easier when it's not full, <laughs> all right? <laughs> I didn't say it was a good invention. I said I had it, Richard. It's like a fucking making trouble. It's like a flip phone. It's already pocketable. It is a bit, that's the whole yeah. point of a phone. 
That's you don't need point. to make it more pocketable. I'll allow it, Richard. I agree. <laughs> I bought it on a whim. <laughs> right. Where were we? We're not getting through this movie at all. I'll tell you why not, because this, this plot is kind of complicated, isn't it? It gets more complicated, yeah. There's oh, a lot God. of time loop stuff going on. Plot spoiler. Alert. Sister tries to help him, but he's so depressed he just says, you're just a kid. And so she pisses off, pissed off. Yeah. And he's now yeah. looking at these adverts for this service by Credius to dream your troubles away. So what this is, essentially, is like cryonics. It is cryonics, isn't it? But you come out alive. <laughs> well, moreover, you go in alive. I mean, in normal cryonics, yeah. they wait till you die, and then and hope, they pop you in. And then hope the technology arise where you can revive your genes. revive you, yeah. And revive your consciousness, which is not going to happen. But why, why do you think that? That's interesting. You think that your soul has departed, is that what you're saying? You're talking about a dualist uh, interpretation of... Well, I think the idea at the moment is like you cry, you cryogenically freeze yourself, and then, they, then when technology arrives, they can take a splice of your DNA and build you back up again. No, that's not the idea, really. Although oh, I suppose it... that could happen. No, it, it's that there will be technology that can repair the body. Oh, the frozen or cell walls. Oh, I see. Right, great, yeah. Yeah. brilliant. I'd like to see that. <laughs> frozen cellulose. Yeah, just doesn't change structure at all. Well, I think the bigger problem is why they would want to unfreeze a load of people from, you know, the 20th century. Why would <laughs> they be considered... wonderful values <laughs> and, and... Our integrity. Our integrity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sideways take. Maybe stand-up comedy, perhaps, will be unknown in, those, in that era. Perhaps. Uh... So what's it called he's going in for? Dream? It's cold sleep, they call it. Cold they? sleep. By the Dream Company or something. By Credius. And he's taking his cat, Pete. Uh, they assess him, but because he's had a bit to drink, they send him home. They do, yeah. To reflect. Which is good. You know, it's good policy, isn't it? Now, one of the confusing things about this film is a, a lot of the intrigue and the machinations are all done through stock certificates. You know, there's a lot of exchanges of ownership of companies <laughs> selling from one company to another. Powers of attorney are putting. Did place. you follow that? That uh, that you know that uh, that no, goose chase. No. Oh, I mean, it's a film for like corporate lawyers to get excited about, isn't it? It is rather. Yeah, I, I didn't entirely follow the machinations that were involved. Suffice it to say, he's been done out of the deal here. Yeah, and later on in the movie, it's. It swings the other way. Would that be fair enough to say? Without getting into the details of it. Yeah, well, Rico goes to her uncle's house, who is the boss of the FWE company. I think Rin is there. They're obviously an item. And they're talking about the plasma battery. She tries to call her brother and stuff. But, you know, it's obviously that Rin is a big Lady Macbeth character, you know, encouraging all this to happen. Yeah, you see, you've really lost me at this point. I didn't get how Rin's uncle, who's now adopted her... No, Rico's uncle. Rico's uncle is the boss of the company that is the other company that's not not the boss that's betrayed him. Is it a separate company? No clue, Ah. no clue. It's all all very confusing. We really need a diagram. (laughs) We're not provided with a diagram. So Sachira goes over to his uncle's house, his boss's house, sorry. I don't know if it's his uncle. He ends up talking to Rin, who's there. He threatens to go to the media with 
news of this betrayal. She, because he's not been in the cold sleep yet, they turned him away, right? Um, she injects him with insulin while he's not looking. Picks up the syringe from, uh, you know, the, his boss, and she opens his bag. Pete was in the bag and jumps out and scratches her. And she finds in the bag the contract with the cold sleep, and that gives her the idea. And she actually goes to another place, another cold sleep place, and she takes Sachiro along, like against his will, because he's out, you know, he's asleep. And she puts him in that cold sleep facility for 30 years. So he's drunk, he can't get in. He's being carried <laughs> by somebody, he can get in. Yeah, but she obviously goes to somewhere less scrupulous that doesn't ask many questions, and she presumably right. pays him a lot of money, you know. And they and they do they do freeze him for thirty years. So now it's twenty twenty five, which it's only two years away now, well three years away now. Wow, it's going to happen. Can I just say something weird about this? Okay, when it was written in the 1950, 1950s, it was set in the future. Yeah, it was set in the seventies or maybe the nineteen eighties or something like that as an American novel. Wow, with Here, flares and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> that, that's, that's. I mean, that would that would require some level of of, uh, of uh, foresight, wouldn't it? But here, we're in twenty twenty one. It's not trying to take on the values of a nineteen fifties novel, but it's set in the past, but a past that is much more advanced than we are now. <laughs> is it much like more it was advanced? written in the nineteen fifties? <laughs> That's so weird. Much more advanced. I mean, 1995, they what? did have cryogenic like, freezing where you can just wake up and like <laughs> just wander out and smell the daisies and do ballet. Well, you could. If you used I mean, to do that you before. Could, you could put someone to sleep and put them in a freezer right now, Paul. Yeah, sure. I mean, okay, probably be no mechanism for waking them up again. <laughs> and time travel from 1969 or whatever it was. Okay, we haven't got to that bit yet, Paul, but yeah, sure. Time but the point is, the rest of society seems to be just like what we are, you know. They've got, <laughs> clamshell, they've got clamshell mobiles, you know, and all this kind of crap, and, and crap TV, and... Anyway, that was just a little quibble I had about, about if you're, like, chronological or... I don't know how you say this, this level of continuity... Sort of. Well, he wakes up in futuristic 2025 in this facility where yes. people are being thawed out and unfrozen. And a lot of the nurses in attendance seem to be robots. Yeah. And he wanders out of this place. We know they are because they've got really dicky eyes. Yes. <laughs> he stands on the street and a robot who calls himself Pete, a humanoid, looks fully human, but it got dicky eyes, as you say, calls himself Pete, stands next to him on the street and says he's going to help him. Get a taxi. By the way, is Japanese for cat? Is that Nico? Neko? It is Neko, yeah. Oh, so so that would be a good name for a cat in English, then, wouldn't it? Call it Neko. 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 So he gets in a, a driverless taxi. Have you ever been in a Japanese taxi of the modern day, Richard? Not Japanese, no. Oh. Singapore, Hong Kong. Different, oh, different experience. Different. Right. What happens in a Japanese taxi? Well, they're all Toyota, or they used to be Toyota Crowns, which is the big old Swiss limousine kind of thing, you know. Yeah. And, and they've all got little little sort of velour curtains all the way around, you know. But does the driver have a beaded seat cover? He does, but he's also wearing white gloves. And it's like, it's really weird. It's like, there are so many bits of Japan that are really still old-fashioned. It's like the use of money. It's still even now, I think, that it's still a cash society, even in 2022. 
Oh, predominantly cash aside, obviously it's charging. No, no way. Yeah, it's hyper modern. It's I mean, when you go there, when you step off the bullet train, you're like, it's like so hyper modern. Particularly if you arrive like in in you know on a glorious summer day in in the summer heat, and you know, and it's just it's it's really wowing to see buildings built. You know. Tram lines and train lines, you know, commuter trains and, and high-speed trains built into the urban architecture, like going through buildings and stuff like that. And, you know, the cityscapes and just the speed of life and just everything. And then you come across these huge fundamental parts of society that are, I would say, almost arcane. You know, it's, it's fascinating. Such as? The use of money, you know. I mean, like, they use cash. But in this film, Paul, one of the first things a robot does, who says, by the way, that he needs a roboticist who can fix him in case he breaks down, he he throws the guy's wallet away. He throws Satura's wallet out of the car, out of the cab window and says, "We're all cashless now." Wow, there we go. So obviously they they saw it coming in this film. Anyway, Satura's obviously also got his nineteen ninety five Walkman with him. Nice. It's uh, but it's a mini disc Walkman, so it, it is properly nineteen ninety five. I don't think people had mini disc warmers in 1995. Sure, they did. Did they? Sachiro did, and he was listening to the song that he played to his sister Aww. Rico, while they looked out over the sea in a very romantic, it's very pappy, generic, energetic Japanese pop song. So romantic, though. It's just the kind of thing you would do with your sister. Isn't with it? your sister, yeah. Can we get on to Tokyo Confidential? I've got a little, it's like a little uh, sort of, uh, maybe vanity publishing thing that I, I read. It became quite popular uh, in the expats, that, sorry, in the immigrants, the Western immigrants in Tokyo. Uh, it was like, you know, a little reveal all about Japanese society that maybe was apocryphal in its sources, but people said rang true. And one of the things I read, uh, no disparagement to any Japanese people listening, is that in the 90s and Noughties, uh competition for the best universities was intense and therefore just like in Korea now I don't think the Japanese are that head up of education anymore these days uh, in fact it's, it's a very relaxed system these days but you know uh, in order to get to the best universities you had to study pretty much all the time you were awake and so uh, Tokyo housewives some of them in order to encourage their teenage boys to study more than they wanted to would uh, give congratulatory blowjobs on finishing homework from for, from their mothers yeah <laughs> so yeah. i don't look i don't want to delve into the potential racism of what i read there but what we can say is when it comes to taboo there's like icky taboo and really icky taboo <laughs> this is quite a racist statement but you know, I think really icky taboo. You know, Japanese problem. Japanese probably think like we do. But when it comes to icky taboos, that it seems to me that not that Japanese people participate in icky taboos or break them more than we do. It's just they don't necessarily, as onlookers, have a strong reaction, a strong, a strong a reaction to them as we do. It's just matter of fact. They take it. In yes. The yes. Way back when. In the early days of the internet and when chatting to people online or finding dates online. Tell me more. This sounds intriguing. I chatted to a girl who turned out to be in Japan. Yes. And she was a young woman, was working as a PA to some kind of businessman. And she would explain how she had to, you know, act 
like his girlfriend and ultimately have sex with him on a fairly regular basis. But she had no feelings for him. But this was perfectly normal behaviour. And, you know, especially to get on in business as a woman in an office situation. That was It was just expected of her. Wow. Sort of amazing. Creepy. Did wrong. you ever get with her? Well, no, she was in Japan. Oh, it was like sleeping in Seattle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you got mail. No, it was probably, almost certainly we would have been on ICQ. Whoa. The old the old chat bulletin boards. Uh, no, it wasn't a bulletin board. It was an instant messenger, but a very, very early one. A little application that you installed. It lived down here on your bottom right of your screen, and you well, added dick, your contacts. Dick, dick, dick. Yeah. Now, where is Sachiro going in his driverless taxi with his robot manservant? Who the fuck knows? Probably back to the... Probably back to... I'll tell know. you. Where is, He's where going is he to going? see Rin. He looks her up, and he goes to see her. Uh, initially, I thought it was Rika, but it's not his sister. It's Rin. And she's not doing well for herself, is she? Oh, she's not. No. 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 She's stuck in the slummiest parts of whatever city they're in. I guess it's Tokyo. She's become a bit of a female otaku, a bit <laughs> of a female stay-at-home. She's put on a few pounds. She tells uh, Sachiro that Rico's sister was blown up in his house after she left his boss's place with his with his uh, sleeping corpse, presume sleeping body. And he goes to the sea view where he sat and played Rico that music. He looks out, and there's wind turbines there now, which is, you know, nice. Nice touch. <laughs> and the robot reveals that he's apparently been told to serve him for five days, by whom we don't know, and there's four days left. And they go into... <laughs> they go into a public restroom. They go into a cubicle together where he uh, opens the robot's oh, wow. body, and there's a oh, gentleman oh, okay. outside. Oh, yeah. Who, who overhears them saying, you know, take your shirt off. <laughs> there's a gentleman inside the robot's body. <laughs> no, no, there's a Bob plasma. Gown. He sees a plasma battery. Hello, it's the Wizard of Oz here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he sees all the gobbins. It's a bit like the six, million, six billion dollar man when you bought when you were a kid, you know, when you reveal it, you peel off his arm kind of thing. That's right, yeah, yeah. Then they go to the office of one of the companies that wound up with all of the robot stuff. And they scan his retina. Sachero's retina. Oh, and it opens all the doors, doesn't it? Yeah, Open all it access. Just like a malfunction. Yeah, it's really good, that bit. And he meets the head of this organisation, a guy called Gota. Gota? Yeah. At the company called Aladdin, apparently. Now, this guy, they actually have history. Because when he was on TV in 1995... And he became down and out for some reason. Was it after everything had happened? I can't remember. After, he, after he'd yeah. lost the company. He was a kid he, watching this guy, and he was a big fan of Sachiro. And he even shows yeah. him, like, a signed thing of Sachiro's. And he says, you came into my restaurant, my family's restaurant. You signed this for me. And we've not yeah. seen this, and Sachiro has no knowledge of it, so he doesn't know what the hell is going on. And then um, at some point after this, he gets a call on his smartphone that his robot has given him. He doesn't seem to know how to answer it, even though, I mean, it just says slide to answer on it, doesn't it? It's perfectly obvious. He's a bloody roboticist, and he's having trouble with the simplest bit of tech. Well, you might want to do the cha-cha slide yourself, mightn't you, if you saw that message? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Left There's foot, no one stop. <laughs> we'll never forget the cha-cha slide, will we? D- well, 
Had you forgotten it? No. Isn't it called the electric slide? Not the cha-cha slide. It is, yeah. Sorry. Left foot, two stumps. <laughs> slide to the left. <laughs> so it's obvious that Sochiro is the... Inv- no, uh, he's the inventor of Pete. But Rico is... Who's the inventor of Pete? Sochiro is. That's what they work out from Gota, don't they? And then Rico, it says, patented Pete too, which doesn't make much sense if she blew up, does it? And they figure out who the patent attorney was. This is what, it's so complicated. It's a guy called they do. Taro Seto, who was the head of Aladdin at the time, but isn't anymore. What the fuck was Aladdin, Richard? You've lost me there. That's the company that Gota was the head of that had all the rights to this robot stuff. They can't both be head of it. No, Taro Sato used to be the head of it, I think. Right, okay. So then they go to the Toy Physics Lab. Professor Toy claims to have invented time travel. And... <laughs> but we saw time travel in 1966. No, that was teleportation, Paul. Oh, thank you. Not time travel. You see, this is where I slipped up. <laughs> That's where I have real problems. But, you know, you get teleportation, time travel's going to come pretty quickly, isn't it, after that? You'd imagine. Now, Toy's theory is that parallel worlds don't exist. It's all loops. Just a loop. But I think that implies parallel... Oh, gosh. It is exactly the same thing, yeah. Yeah. But Toy agrees that he'll send him back with gold bars strapped to him, which is a bit like Looper. I don't know if you've seen that film, but there we are. Um, So that he'll have money when he goes back. And they'll be able to use that money to fund his research so that he can invent time machines. (laughs) Brilliant. And of course, he has a time machine and it has those Nixie tube displays, those little plasma discharge things, because that's what time machines always have. I don't know why. They go back and they go and meet Taro Sato, the patent lawyer. Who's actually quite a nice bloke in the 1995. And again, I get mixed up again here with the familial relations, because there's a there's a girl in that house in a wheelchair, sadly. Yeah, what's going on there? She's called Midori, named after Melon Liqueur. At first, I thought that she was uh, Taro's daughter, but it turns out later when he gets into bed with her that she's actually, <laughs> it's actually his wife. <laughs> but they, I mean, they do say that about Japanese women are aging, don't they? Is that they, they don't really age until they're... Asian, don't raise them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... So, Midori is actually a Japanese liqueur. Isn't it strange? What, melon liqueur is Midori? Yeah. Wow. Well, I guess something like being called Campari. Or... I can't express how many drunken nights in the park were fueled <laughs> in my youth with Midori. Why I didn't pay two ninety nine for a three-litre bottle of cider, I don't know. What about Taboo and Lemonade? No, it was Midori every time. And it's only like 16 or 18% by volume. It's also 85% sugar. Uh, it's literally solid syrup, you know. Uh, and I had no... It wasn't that I was a rich guy. I had no money. But I still drank Midori. I don't know why. Listen, we should just explain. He's gone back to 1995, to the 1st of March. We know that. Because he's got post-its up on the wall saying... 3 slash 1, 3 slash 2, 3 slash 3, etc. Why was 1st of March critical in the first place? You said that's critical. That was the first day we saw him. And then one week later, Uh, on the 8th of March, is when he got drugged and put in the cold sleep and they stole his company and all that shit. So he knows what time to go back to. Clever boy. 
Well, he's got he's got a lot to do in this week. He's got a lot to do in this week. Just like we've he's got, got he's got to it, yeah, he's got to get minutes. his skates on. We, he's got to work on the battery and finish it off. He's got to invent Pete the robot. He's got to meet Toy Professor to give him the research money so he can invent time machines so that he can get sent back when he's in the future. He's got to speak to the lawyer so he can set up the company. He, yeah. He's got to meet Gota in his family's restaurant and sign a little thing for him and encourage him and to And he's become... got to go to a meeting where he knows he's going to be betrayed. Uh, Does that happen or not? D- does it happen? Ah, you see, this is the other thing that really perplexed me about this going back, to, going back in time. And he's got, he sits at an old-fashioned draftsman's table. In 1995, weren't they all using CAD for doing this kind of stuff? It's really slow CAD in 1995, though. Oh, right. Fair enough. Quicker to do it with tracing paper and a, a, a rotring pen and stuff. Yeah. You don't know what I'm talking about, do you? I, do you know I once did work experience at a structural engineer's? <laughs> did you? I did. How old were you? Well, I would have been 14 or 15. And uh, they gave sex me... trade. Were you trafficked? <laughs> they gave me... What a good cover. You think engineering, not you know, nothing to do with that at all. Poor Richard was trafficked. They gave me the job of copying drawings, right? And the way that used to be done in those days was... Photocopier? No, no. Let me explain. So the draftsman's drawing was done on this kind of tracing paper stuff. It was like this translucent, very smooth paper. I don't think you've ever experienced draftsman's yeah. paper. So that's what they would draw it on, ink the drawing on. Oh, you had to ink it up? No. You take that drawing and you go over to this big machine uh, and you get this special paper, which is kind of photosensitive. And you and these pieces of paper are like A2 a or something. They're huge. They're really big. You mean like book, bookkeeper's copy paper? Sort of like that. It's photosensitive, and it's quite curly uppy. So you have to you have to get it. You have to put it behind the drawing. And bear in mind that the draftsmen back in the day when we had industry in this country. Go on. The draftsmen have spent hours and hours and hours inking this incredibly meticulous drawing with you know distances Twice. and everything on it. And it you know it's hundreds of what of us in Allegro. Hundreds and hundreds of hours worth. Draw what you, know, you want to. It's still gonna be a crap car. No, it was for buildings. Paul. It was architectural stuff. Okay. And so what you've got to do is then you take these two pieces of paper, this sort of tracing paper, backed with this photosensitive flimsy stuff, and you feed it into this machine. Was it for a Scottish new town? I bet it fucking was. A stupid shopping centre done in brutalist style that's just long, corrid- long walkways above above the road, just magnets for crime. Sorry, continue. You feed this these two things into this crazy machine which is this really kind of rickety looking thing with two rollers at the top and those rollers are going to take the the diagram and feed it through this like UV light or whatever exposes it and that will mean that it shines through the tracing paper and it makes a copy a crude copy right so when the draftsman asked you to copy it didn't involve your considerable technical drawing skills no No. thank god for that but let me tell you what happens because the tracing paper, often, in the course of handling it and taking it off people's draftsmen's drawing boards, it gets little tears and rips around one edge or around the edges. And it's, again, it's this very translucent, kind of brittle paper, like parchment almost, wow. right? So you can imagine, you know, if you got hold of that rip and pulled like it. rice paper. You could, yeah, like rice paper. You could easily, like, rip it in two. And there's hundreds of hours of work. In other words, 
tens of thousands of pounds worth in a drawing like this. And this is their only copy. And you made origami condoms out of it. And you've got to feed it into these rollers, which you've got no control of the speed of, and get it dead straight. Richard's about to tell me you fucked up. Is that what you're trying to tell me? No, what I'm about to tell you is... How many tens of thousands of pounds of... of shit architectural design did you ruin they've warned me that it was quite a tricky and difficult job to do because you know it's really oh, give easy it, give it to the work experience <laughs> kid then he's 14 fucking years old <laughs> and after a, a bit uh, mad so you can imagine he's like you know I was really struggling to do it your hands are shaking it's really you, you, know, you bite your tongue and, and stuff <laughs> And try to feed these fucking things through. And after I'd done a few of them, all the all the lads in the office were going, by me, none of the other work experience kids had the guts to do it. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't know refusal was an option. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's better than my work experience. I went to uh, some sort of engineering place, back when we had industry in this country. Uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, I happened to know the boss, actually. But he didn't have a say in what I was doing. And what they made me do was sweep the iron filings off the floor. Uh, And that was okay. Right. But they also made me do it. They also, they had a lot of lathing and stuff going on. So there's lots of little, little bits of, little bits of flickery, spiky little bits of iron all over the place. But also they made me do it in the sort of reception area carpet where it was all treaded in, yeah. But it was that kind of spongy pubic hair carpet. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Yeah. And obviously, it was just it was just a Scythian task. It was impossible. <laughs> and that's all I did for a week was sweep sweep iron filings out of pubic hair that would not allow them to be swept. Would you not so. get a magnet? Would that not be the way to do that? Fucking hell, you're right. Magnetic broom would have worked. <laughs> I remember once, I, I think I was with you, we were stuck in a car park, uh, and I had the idea of rolling an oil drum that happened to be next to the detector in the floor <laughs> yeah. over the detector in the floor, and we got out of the car park. That was genius, yeah. So It was genius, but I, I didn't have that genius in the factory. <laughs> I could have just swung a little bit of an electromagnet over and, and, and saved myself a week's work. Yeah. I guess... That was the that was the crystal maze challenge that I failed. Right, so we're getting there, Richard. He's back to 1995, and what the hell's he doing? He sets all that up. No, so yeah. it's now the day. It's now the 8th of March. Pete goes. But he off. knows. He knows it's going to happen, doesn't he? Yeah. Pete goes off to intercept the truck that's reclaiming Sachiro's stuff in his lab, and Sachiro goes to his uncle's house, where he sees himself being drugged, and Pete the that cat. That I have problems with. He. <laughs> Why? Seeing yourself. Paradox, man. I mean, there are two of him here, no question. It's not a loop then, is it? Is it a parallel world? No, because there are two of them in the same one. I don't know. It seems like a loop to me. I'm afraid there are two of him for like 30 years. Just one of them's... You know, well, I think both of them end up in cold sleep, don't they? He grabs Pete, who's escaped from the bag after scratching Rin. He goes back to his live workspace and finds Rico before she goes in and gets exploded. Then he crashes his truck into his own place. He sets fire with all the legal documents in it, granting powers of attorney and stuff, opening the gas cylinders that are full of acetylene. So that's what happened in the first time. Always to assume the explosion the first time was him doing it, therefore. It's my problem. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right, Paul. It was him So all why can't he see... He could see himself when he goes back, but he can't see himself blowing it up. 
No, no. What? No, it's yeah. it's so, no, no. Go on. No, listen. A young, younger Sachiro, as it were, who hasn't been in cold sleep, is the one getting, going to the meeting and getting drugged and doing all the things we saw in the movie. Older Sachiro sees himself get drugged, grabs the cat, goes to his place, blows up the house, blows up his house. Well, he's and therefore, is, therefore, Rin thinks that yes, his sister is dead. Yes, exactly. Now he plans to go into cold sleep for thirty years. Not sure why. Why can't he just stay? But he doesn't. I suppose everyone thinks he's in cold sleep. So just after the younger version has gone into cold sleep, he goes into cold sleep as well. Yeah. He actually takes up the offer with the original Credius, who thinks it's still him. Wow. He takes his cat with him. Pete the Robot stays with Rico, who's going to invent Pete the Robot, of course. And she hangs around for 10 years, studying, becoming a roboticist. And then... Just basically copying Pete's circuits, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. Who, who wouldn't? And then, after 10 years, she goes into cold sleep for 20 years so that she wakes up at the same time as Sachiro. And finally, brother and they get sister or stepsister can be together. <laughs> as was, Not uncomfortable at all. As was ordained. Are they swinging their legs by the seawall or something at the end? I think they are, yeah. Maybe, something like that. It's very nice and romantic <laughs> and not at all disturbing. Right, well, you got through the difficult stuff really quickly. Okay. I have one or two problems with it. Oh, fire away, Paul. But you seem to have, you seem to have said that the loop... It's a closed loop. Can, ...can be a loop. It all and, comes back on itself. And it can be geographically and time coincident. <laughs> why, why would those loops be visible to each other? But that doesn't necessarily follow, does it? Well, there's nothing prohibiting it physically, is there? But it's it's rather a select set of options for time travel, isn't it? To suggest it's this way rather than any other way. I think some time travel movies would suggest that if they came in close proximity, they would explode or in, turn inside out or something. But actually, there's nothing in the laws of physics that suggests that a wormhole couldn't open up and you you poke a billiard ball through it and it comes out of a wormhole and knocks itself into the wormhole. That's okay in physics. You can interact with yourself. No problem. Although he doesn't touch himself. I mean, he just looks up through a window. So as he's aware that he's going back in time, he could decide not to do what he was doing and then the other, the other guy would disappear, presumably. The other guy wouldn't disappear. There are some McFly quandaries here, I think, that remain. Back to the Future doesn't make a lick of sense. It's completely bonkers. This at Stop least right is, is self-contained. Stop it right now. <laughs> anyway, we've got to score this crap. So <laughs> To bury the lead. You said the insulin was really important. You never said why it was really important in terms of the time travel. Because never. They, she drugs, Rin drugs him with it and puts him in presumably a diabetic coma. By injecting he takes the insulin back with him? No. No, she, she does it at his boss's home when he goes to confront them. Oh, oh! It was, it was significant in that sense, right? Okay. It's on loop one. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it is significant. It's not time travel significant. No, it's cold sleep significant. I like the way he describes the smooth jazz movie. It is that kind of tempo. Uh, it's from another era. The story, the storytelling, that was nice in a certain sort of way. However, however, the gadgets are very much still stuck in nineteen nineteen uh, fifties idea of the future, essentially. All they've done is make tin-bodied robots look a bit more modern. That's it, really. 
So I, I thought the gadgetry kind of let it down. But then again, it's Japanese finance. It's probably not rolling around in millions of dollars, is it? So I don't know. Where should we start off? Let's start off with the thing we can't avoid here, which is, shall we say, the challenging plot, Richard? What do you think about the plotting? Mm. It's a whole novel. That's the first thing to say. It's Listen, it's a closed-loop time travel film, and it pulls it off quite well. In that sense, like Tenet. It's all very clear to that casual viewer. The confusing part is the whole corporate infrastructure thing with multiple <laughs> buyouts, share certificates changing hands, powers of attorney, patent lawyers. <laughs> but we get the idea, you know, you can hand wave it all the way. You know, his boss tries to diddle him out of his fair dues and his company, and ultimately his sister and himself manage to get their own back by t- travelling back in time 30 years. I mean, listen, Heinlein's a bona fide sci-fi writer. So I'm going to give this a seven. I think I came unstuck at the teleportation versus time travel dichotomy, which I had. I wasn't paying enough attention to notice that difference. I think it all became a little bit unraveled and unstuck for me at that point. Genuinely, the story is a fascinating one. The twists and turns do intrigue, but I'm not sure they work over... A one a ninety minute to one hundred twenty minute time period. I think, like, if you look at Blade Runner, we don't get the whole novel of Blade Runner, do we? Well, I think that was a short story. Do Android Dream of Electric Sheep? Yes, it was a short story, and even so, we don't get we don't get all the novel crammed in, all the short story crammed in there. My feeling, I think, here we've got the whole story, haven't we? We've got a whole novel here, and I think that might be the problem. It's unless you're prepared to really pay attention. You're going to be dissatisfied if you want the details to make sense because you haven't been paying attention, or at least I wasn't paying attention to the details in that way. And it doesn't really announce itself as a movie that needs to be watched in that way. Plus, there's very little exposition of the critical, the several hundred critical moments <laughs> in the plot, particularly, you know, the business dealings and the machinations. It doesn't spoon feed, you know. There's nothing, there's no regurgitation, there's no recap, you know, where they come back and say, oh, you don't remember what happened with that business deal? <laughs> what, oh, when, we did, when that happened, you know. There's nothing, there's no trite insertions in the dialogue whereby we can revisit some of those critical events. So, I mean, the novel is a really strong novel. It's still, I mean, the story was great. I thought the way this kind of sweet little love interest was woven in there was all pretty good so if they pulled it off for a general audience i would have given it a nine but i have to say it was a difficult watch to follow so i'm gonna score it as 6.5 for plotting richard how about you i've just i've done my score for plotting it was a seven but look you know stepbrother on stepsister action is very in on pornhub so they were really they, they knew the market didn't they <laughs> i'm quaking in my boots right what about <laughs> the other stuff the acting the acting, yeah. I like the robot guy. He did a good robot. He gave good robot, didn't he? <laughs> I thought he was pretty cute. Uh, and so was his sister, honestly. Stop right and so was, uh, so was young Rin. She was cute as well. Taro Sato, he's, he's good, wasn't he? Yeah, I thought the acting was decent. I'm going to give it a seven there as well. I'd say the acting was better than that. I'm going to give it an eight. Oh, right. Right. On to... On to I don't know how we're going to score this book. Can we go on to the science of, 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 of this movie? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Look, I, again, Back to the Future is nonsense, right? 
There's no mechanism in the universe that erases people from Polaroid films or from reality Oh, just because you've meddled okay. with their grandfather or something. This film is consistent about its time travel, and for that, I think it deserves credit. Teleportation is real at a quantum level anyway, so that's cool. And we know robots exist. And you tell me that it's quite correct that they wouldn't have been using CAD in 1995, so I've got no great beef with this film. I'm going to have to give it a seven. What about the cryogenics? Also fine. Also fine. A little bit of a stretch to thaw people out, but freezing people is no problem. A little bit, yeah. yeah, (laughs) So what was that? I gave it a seven again. I'm I'm going seven, seven, seven so far. Okay. I I have a real problem with the cryogenics. It just seemed like... You know, 1950s, imagine what we could do. And they've kept it like that. Well, it's a fairly faithful reader of the novel, isn't it? You could it? just put someone well, in a medically induced coma for 30 years, couldn't you? Keep them on. That would make more sense, actually, wouldn't it? would be fine. So, I don't know. The, the loop, yes. If the assertion of the movie, if we're to believe the assertion of the movie, you know, time loops are like they say, of course... It, it delivers no paradoxes. Yeah. Because they, you it's know. Loops to so itself. That's very convenient, isn't it? Yeah. But I'm not buying that. Oh. I don't believe that would happen with time travel. What do you think would happen? You, you're oh. firmly in the Back to the Future camp, are you? No, I'm not firmly, <laughs> but... I don't know. But the other thing You've is, already rejected yeah, ta- the time travel, Everett theory. Time travel, like teleportation, does presumably, in some sense, involve... Whizzing atoms at some sort of speed, doesn't it? I mean, there are several problems. If we're, if we're talking about physics here. If you want to be really serious about time travel, one of the big problems, of course, is if you were to go backward or forward in time by, well, any moderate amount or, or longer. Of light speed. Then you would find yourself not in on Earth, wouldn't you? Because the Earth would have moved. It would have spun, for a start, and it would have moved through space... <laughs> And so you'd just, you'd come to somewhere drifting in cold, hard vacuum. But, I mean, the point is, are we, ac- uh, let's assume that they're using some sort of physical wizardry yeah. to whiz us up to a speed, maybe in a centrifuge so we don't change places. Okay. Uh, <laughs> right, the accelerations involved in, I mean, I don't, no, actually, I guess... Once you get to those speeds, you can sort of skip on quite a lot of time. So you could accelerate quite slowly up there, couldn't you? Do you see what I'm saying? If we're talking in terms of our understanding of time travel, in terms of getting people up to very high speeds, I'm just not sure the body would... I think the the movie has to confront some of those questions we have, and it didn't do. Time travel just happens. Yeah, it's just a part. That I found disappointing. So for those reasons, it's going to be a 6.5. Okay, and then do we normally do a special effects? Is that appropriate for this film? See, we could. We had some action scenes, we had some special effects, we had some trucks exploding and stuff like that. I don't know if it was enough to score it. Well, then we would have to do mood, wouldn't we? Like it was an arty movie. It's not an arty movie, is it? At all. Should we just do an overall score? We could just. Yeah, let's do an overall score. You know, this is perfectly pleasant. I don't mind it. I quite like it. It is. I'm not sure I would watch it with, I don't know, a stepsister. <laughs> That's the only reservation. So I'll give it a, I'll give it a seven. Seven all the way. Okay. I'm going to go 7.5. Oh. Uh, 
Yeah. I mean, it's a good movie. And it certainly entertains. It certainly held my attention. I, I just found it confusing at times. Some of that's my fault, but I think some of some of the blame must lie at the movie. Well, if you don't know how many foster parents someone has had after 30 seconds into the movie, you're on shaky ground, aren't you? <laughs> I forgot about those horrific complications of the, the personal relations, too. Yeah. I, maybe it's just a cultural thing. Maybe the Japanese like their movies woven a little, a little tighter than we do. I'm sure that is true. Yeah. And... Which brings us to the whole question of what we're going to do and what we're going to watch next. Well, uh, next week, I have a delight for you, Richard. We're heading safely back into sci-fi action. Okay, and it's going to be spectral from 2016. Netflix release, originally, originally slated for a universal release, went straight to Netflix. Big budget for Netflix at the time, 2016, 70 million. Okay, so expect an FX extravaganza. It's going to be like Ghostbusters. Excellent. All right, then. Perhaps. Perhaps. Until next week. Thank you for listening. This has been Drive By Cinema. I'm Rick, and this is Paul. Ciao for now. Goodbye. Thank you.